Oh, that is so exciting to see um, wonderful, so much prayers that have gone on to, to seeing so many of those kids and adults come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. But let me share a story with you just as we begin our uh, message time here. It's actually a true story of a man by the name of Frank Abagnale. He was for quite a while considered the greatest living con artist. And you may have heard this name because he comes from, or a movie was actually made about him called Catch Me If You Can. And it was a movie that is based upon his true life story. At the age of 16, Frank Abagnale ran away from home and began a life of false identity. In fact, as a teenager, he passed off as an airline pilot, a medical doctor, and a lawyer. By the time he was 21 years of age, he had already conned people out of more than $5 million. In fact, one day he met a young nurse by the name of Brenda. He proposed to her not long after that. And as he met his, her parents, he convinced them that he was a medical doctor. And when, she, and when he realized that her dad was a lawyer, he convinced him that he was a lawyer as well that went to lawyer law school before he went to med school. Even seeing his diploma up on the wall and what school the father went to, Frank claimed that he went to the same school as well. And when he found out that the family were devout Lutherans, he pretended to be a Lutheran as well. Then one night, the FBI catches up to him, and uh, Frank races upstairs to pack his bag. His fiancée, Brenda, follows him, and he wants to escape, wants her to escape with him, um, and he decides to come clean and tell her that he is a total fake. Take a look. Even lies about his faith, huh? Have you met someone who you're just not quite sure where they're coming from? You met someone who maybe you believe is faking it, who isn't authentic or real or true? Or perhaps you would say that about yourself if you were truly honest. See, the, the secret agony of many Christians today is that many of us feel that we're faking it. I mean, maybe you feel like that here today, or you, you've seen baptisms taking place up there. Maybe you were even baptized, and you remember kind of that great feeling, but now you feel like you're struggling. 
And you're wondering about that faith. In fact, your private life is not matching up to your public life. And you know it better than anyone else. And if that's who you are today, then you know what? Good news. Welcome home. Right? Because many, many have fallen into that. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. In fact, this would be considered not an AA meeting, but it would be considered an FA meeting, a Fakers Anonymous meeting that we're having here today, all right? We're going to come real. We're going to become true. In fact, um, there's help from a book in the Bible a man wrote by the name of James. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to that book. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up right below the chairs, up in the balcony. There should be some in the, in the uh, pews right in front of you. But there was a man by the name of James who wrote a letter um, that we're going to be looking at today. We, we started uh, part one of this message last week called True Faith That Lasts. Because in reality, that's what we all, I think, desire to have. And if you haven't been a part of our series, we've been going through the New Testament. The reason we're going through the New Testament is not to come to the end of it and say, hey, hey great, we made it. We went through the Old Testament last year. Now we just went through the New Testament. We didn't come to the end of the series, and some of you have sat through all eight of the messages here. You've done the 30 devotions that have been in the book. You've been in all the community groups, seven of them that have gathered together. We didn't do all that just to say, check, click off the box, check off the box, we're done. We did that so that we could develop our faith, a true faith that lasts and is lived out in everyday life. That's precisely why James wrote this letter that you have in front of you. And so last week we kind of started this message. We asked who wrote this book? It was a man by the name of James, but there's six or seven people in the Bible that are called James. But I specifically said, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And some of you say, wow, I, I didn't know Jesus had a half-brother. Yes, he had many brothers. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, we see that there are four brothers listed there by name, and also two sisters who are not included by name or mentioned by name, but they're also sisters. So there was at least seven people in the family of Jesus. And I say it's a half-brother of, Je of, of um, James, is the half-brother of Jesus, because obviously the Holy Spirit was the one who conceived um, Jesus inside of Mary and not Joseph, who was the father of the other siblings. And we learned last week that James became a follower of Jesus, not when he was one of the siblings in the household and the family, but after Jesus kind of left the household, after he was crucified, after he was resurrected, then it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to James specifically, which is one of the reasons that we see now James being a follower and a believer in his brother now, in Jesus Christ. And so James becomes a very influential leader in the early church as well, as it says in Acts. And he decides to write this letter because, and again, it's on your outline. We already filled it in. He writes it because James wanted to see faith lived out through action. That's what he truly wanted. And you say, okay, why is that such a burden to James? Well, let me have you imagine for just a moment. That you're the brother of Jesus, and you're one of the leaders in this new kind of this authentic, pure, true, organic kind of movement that has just begun, that your brother has lived for, died for, rose again, and now you're one of the influential leaders, and now it's being polluted and infected with some of the very same stale, dry, dusty, impure, inauthentic 
theatrical type of activity that your brother Jesus had preached about. I mean, really, if you look at it, the only people that Jesus constantly was annoyed with were the bad religious leaders. He loved the outcasts. He loved the unlovable. He loved the prostitutes. He loved on the sinners and the tax collector type of people. But he was ticked off at the theatrical kind of hypocrisy that he said in many of the religious leaders. Those are the ones that Jesus really lays into. And so now, being the brother of Jesus, you are seeing people 20, 25 years later kind of settle down into those same ways of doing things. And maybe you're seeing some of them now saying the right Christian words. Maybe they're, you know, going to the right Christian meetings. Maybe they're singing the right Christian songs. But their lives aren't measuring up. And they're still keeping the slaves. They're still oppressing the poor. They're still being judgmental and impatient and angry and mean and selfish. Just like everyone had done before, they're turning into religious hypocrites. And so James says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, not in my town, anything but that. That's what my brother was railing against. And so you decide to write a letter that would be scattered throughout all the known Christian world. In fact, the book of James is the only book that we have in the New Testament where a letter was written not specifically to a specific church or a specific person. This was written to the 12 tribes, it says there in James chapter 1, verse 1, uh, verse one the 12 tribes of the dispersion or the scattered, or the NIV talks about it, to those who were um, uh, scattered among the nations. And you write it to remind them of what Jesus really taught, that it's about a true, authentic religion, not with all the impurities that other people have brought into it. In fact, and I shared this a little bit last week, the book of James is the one that probably parallels the ministry of Jesus the most. You just look at what he said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and you go back and read James, and you see so many parallels of what was taking place there with the ministry of Jesus. And so James jumps all over that and says, oh boy, this isn't just about what we believe. This isn't just about what we say. This isn't just about what we feel. This isn't just about what we think. In fact, look at the verse here out of James chapter 122. I said last week it was the key verse of the book of James. Would you read it with me again this week? Read it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Take that step. Don't just listen, but actually do it. In fact, a little later in the next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 26, he says, faith apart from works is dead. I'm not even sure you have it, he would say. And again, we kind of scratch our heads as we looked at this a little bit last week and say, you're saying that we have to do something to earn our salvation? Oh, no, 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 no. Paul already said that. And James wouldn't contradict that. What James is saying is if you have a true faith, then it's going to come out in your works. It's going to come out in the things that you do. That's what he's getting after. If you have roots into your faith, then you will begin to have fruit that grows. If you have a faith, 
your deeds will naturally spill out. In fact, any time that James writes about works or deeds, he's not talking about what you do to earn salvation. He's talking about the things that come about because you have a salvation. That's what he is emphasizing. That's what he is stressing. So James asks, is that what you're doing? Is that the kind of faith you have? And the points on the back of the outline we covered last week, we talked about true faith is not just something I read. We said true faith is not just something I say. Let me give you the third point on the back of the outline, and that's this. True faith is not just something I feel. Not just something I feel. Because, you know, you can have sentiment with, with, with faith. We, we, can, we can mistake sentiment with faith. We can be moved by worship. We can be moved by, you know, hurricane disaster relief that we need to help with. We can be moved by the people who are facing the, the tragedies of the fires that happened up in Northern California, the Santa Rosa type area, uh, area without actually doing something about that. In fact, look what it says in James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, you're okay, just... Go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body? James says, what good is that? He says, says, if you truly have a faith, you won't just be feeling for them, but you'll take a step and and help them. Authentic faith is is more than just sympathy. Can I compliment you on this as a church, as a body, you know, you can feel sympathy, again, towards the hurricane victims or the fire victims. But as a church, we've come together and given over $20,000 to make a difference in helping them get supplies and things that will help them transition back into normal everyday life. As a church, we talked about the love boxes that so many of you have taken, and they're filling up in the Welcome Center. We've had them being returned the last few weeks. Those are so many in here saying, I want to help. I want to make a difference. As a church, we have a wonderful breakfast club that meets on Saturday mornings. They're here so early in the morning. Marilyn Young leads that group. They come together. They they go out and feed the homeless in South Stockton, making a difference. As a church, even right now, we have a mission team on the mission field in Guatemala, led by Jim Pacheco and uh, John Moore. Charlie Hess is usually on that trip. He wasn't able to go this time, but he set them up to do that. They're going into villages in Guatemala Choosing one, drilling a well so that those people's lives can be changed by having pure water. And they also share the love of Christ by talking about the living water that is Jesus Christ. I mean, that's putting your faith into action. That's just not feeling, oh, we're so sorry for them. They don't have pure water. We pay for that. We make a difference. We give towards that. We, 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 We help come alongside the gospel rescue mission, the Haven of Peace, the Pregnancy Help Center to make a difference here in Stockton. Even one of the things that we've already done on the grounds over here at the old Scottish Rite building, the new community center that we have there, was a great time with the carnival that we had, the trunk or treat, a couple of weeks ago. On one of the darkest nights of the year, as a church family, we came together, had over a thousand people on the campus, livening that place up. People have even said, man, that is so nice what you do for that neighborhood, for your community. Yes, we want to make it a great night. We also want to share the love of Jesus and saying there's a church here that wants to make a difference in your life. That's what, as a church, we come together that goes beyond just feeling we want to make a difference. We put it into action. Now, let me say this. That's as a church... But let me get more personal. How about you personally? 
Who can you count on to be there at a time of crisis for you personally? See, that's why we have community groups around here. So that people can be more connected just rather than being connected with hundreds of people in the service. But you can get connected with a dozen or so people who you know them and they know you. Who yes, you'll be praying for and they'll pray for you. But they'll go even beyond that and say, now what else do you need? How can I help? And I've taught that and I've shared that for years. Don't wait till you go through something in your life where you need someone. Prepare for that moment. Be that person to someone else, and that someone else will be that person to you when that situation comes up. You know, I think about Marty and Michelle Dorman. And uh, I came in this morning, and, and Dean, we've been praying for their family all the way since March when Dean was in a car accident. Uh, Dean kicked me on the way into the service here today. He, he came up behind me and gave me a little nudge. And we're glad you're here. Absolutely. You know, as a church family, they, they've had people who come over on a regular basis and help Dean, doing some recovery care, and recuperative care, and doing some exercises to get healed up. We've had people who deliver meals over to their homes and say, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? What can I do? If you know them, you haven't done that for a while, talk to them again, share with them your love for them. The reason that they've had that in their lives is because they were those people to other people. It's because they've had groups of people around them. Michelle's ministered as a women's minister here for years. She and Marty come here for years. They've been connected to other people and other groups. That's why people have stepped up. That's why people help. Do you have that person in your life? Do you have those people in your life, the people who you can call in the middle of the night when life is falling apart? James actually asked, though, are you that person for other people? That's how you'll know. If you're that person for someone else, then others will be that for you. So James says, it's not just a feeling that you have. It's not just something you read. It's not just something you say. In fact, the next point I have down there on the outline is true faith is not just about something I just think. Not just something I think. It's not just about a creed or a doctrine. See, some people really get into the creeds and the doctrines, and we need those. It's kind of like the skeleton in the body. You don't see the skeleton. In fact, if you do see the skeleton, you know something's going wrong down there, right? But a creed or a doctrine is kind of what holds the things together, what we, what we should believe, and that's good. But James comes along, and he says, okay, but so what? Now what are you going to do with it? In fact, he says this in verse 19, chapter 2. He says, you believe that there is one God. Yeah, that's what you believe. That's a creed of yours. Good. Even the demons believe that. They shudder at that. It goes beyond just what you believe. Does it make a difference in how you live is the question. You know, most of us know the name Thomas Jefferson my wife and I were able to visit the East Coast a number of years ago, and we got to see his estate and the plantation where he lived, and it's just a gorgeous part of the country. Um, Thomas Jefferson, one of the authors of the Declaration of Independence, he penned the phrase, all men are created, what's the word? All men are created equal. That's what he believed. That was a creed of his. That was his doctrine. You know what, though? He kept over 500 slaves himself. 
And some of you say, well, you know, don't judge him by today's morality off of what he did back then. Well, you know, that, that's fine. But his neighbor freed up his slaves. His good friend George Washington freed up all of his slaves. In fact, his cousin freed up his slaves. And all these people wrote letters to Thomas Jefferson. We still have some of them today. All of them wrote letters to Thomas Jefferson saying, why don't you free up your slaves as well if you believe all men are created equal? To which, unfortunately, Thomas Jefferson did nothing with. Why? Because good people struggle with hypocrisy. I struggle with hypocrisy. I mean, my goodness, I, I don't always forgive easily. My goodness, I don't always have great thoughts, even about some of you in here. I don't have always great thoughts. Huh? I mean, you know, you know what my therapy is many times? My therapy is doing yard work or mowing my lawn. When I'm out mowing my lawn, I know I'm having some issues with some people if I'm having imaginary conversations with people while I'm mowing my lawn. Sometimes I'll mow it twice in one week. My wife knows I'm having some real issues then out there. But think about that. If you have imaginary conversations with somebody, you feel like you're telling them off, maybe you haven't taken that step. Maybe you're just kind of going through the actions. Maybe you're not going beyond just a creed or a belief and putting it into practice. So James comes in here and says, not just about what you feel, not just about what you think, but what he ends with is the final point I have in these five points here is that is true faith. You know what that is? That's something I live it is something I live. And what James says, he gives two examples of Old Testament characters to show how one's actions demonstrate one's real faith. In chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, he talks about Abraham. And he says, Abraham demonstrated his faith when he offered his son by laying him on the idol. It wasn't just lip service. He actually said, okay, God, I trust you, and I will put my son on the altar, and I will kill him. And, of course, God said, no, I know that you are sold out to me and that your faith is more than just something that you say, but it's something you do. And then James mentions about Rahab. Woo, Rahab, prostitute Rahab, you got it. Because Rahab took the steps in the Old Testament when she protected some of the Lord's spies. She put her own life in danger and said, yes, I'm going to help them. Again, James isn't saying your deeds save you. But rather he's saying your faith is seen by your actions. If you have true faith, if you have a true religion, a true faith, then it's going to be seen by your actions. In fact, what he is getting at, it's on the next feeling on your outline, is that my faith is not determined by what I do, but my faith is demonstrated by what I do. Get the point there? It's not, it's not, it's not determined. You're, you're, what you do doesn't determine where you're going to spend eternity. Your faith does that. Your faith alone in Christ. But it is demonstrated. By a faith that you have. It comes out in the actions. That's how your faith demonstrates that. And so you can ask yourself, is my lifestyle different than when I first became a Christian? There's the question. And I know that there are many people in here today who aren't yet ready to put their faith in Christ. That's okay. You, you, you keep coming. You hear about what we talk about today. Maybe you even came here today to see somebody get baptized, or maybe you're just exploring this type of thing. That's fine. What I want to get to, though, is maybe some of the things that are keeping you from a true faith. And that's asking all the rest of us, 
Am I different than when I first gave my life to Christ? Am I different than who I used to be? Am I different because I have a faith in Jesus Christ? Well, you know, Pastor, I just kind of believe. I just come and I hear the music. I take in the songs. I, I hear the message. I don't agree with everything you say, but most of it. But I believe, I believe, I believe. And James would say, mm, let's go a little deeper than that. If you truly have a faith, if you truly believe, then it's going to be spurred on by what you do as well. Your root will go down. Your fruit will go wide. So let me ask you, just getting very personal. How do the people on your street? How do the people at your workplace, how do the people in your school know that you have a faith? How do they know that you are a Christian? Again, James doesn't give some kind of a checklist. I mean, I mean that's not authentic. But what he does is he gets to the bottom line and he says this in James chapter 2 verse 8. In fact, would you read this with me? Let's read this together. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. That's where James gets. That's where he kind of plants it down. He says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, ah, you're well along your way. Now, are you complete in that? No. Are you perfect in that? No. But it's starting to come out. You know when you're loving others more than yourself. You know when you're helping others more than yourself. You know when it's making a difference. That's when you know. That's when you know that faith is real. It's coming out in actions. In other words, last filling on your outline, I show my faith when I show my love to others. I show my faith when I show my love. Do you believe? It's, it's not just what you hear. It's not just what you say. It's not just what you feel. It's not just what you think. It's what you live, James would say. Last week, um, when I shared part one of this message, uh, there was a gentleman who came down to talk to me after one of our services. And he said, Pastor, let me share a story that happened to me yesterday. So on Saturday of last week, he said, I was in a CVS. And uh, CVS was located in a little harder, rougher part of town. And uh, I was in there, just had to pick up something real quick, step in and step back out and get home. I had some things I had to do. And um, I got in line, and in line behind me was a gal who um, was a little bit more grubby. She was a little bit more rough. And I didn't think much of it, didn't really turn around, look, didn't engage her much in conversation. Went out to my car. Um, uh, I was out in the car. I had to do just a few things before I drove away. She got into the car kind of next to me. She was with her husband. There was in a little bit more of a, a beat-up kind of a pickup. And I drove away, and I drove to my house, and I opened up my garage door, went inside my garage door, shut it back down, walked into my house, and was there for just a couple of seconds when I heard the doorbell ring. And as he's telling me the story, my first thought was, oh my goodness, the person followed you home and wanted something from you and didn't ask you there in the store, didn't ask you in the parking lot, but wanted to maybe even see where you lived to see if you could help them and came up knocking on the door. Wow, how inconvenient. The man said, as I opened the door, I saw the gal and she's right there. Pickup truck is parked out in front of my house. Before I even got a chance to say a word, she reached into her purse and she pulled out my wallet that I dropped in the parking lot. She followed me all the way home just to make sure I had it. 
He said, I didn't even know what to say. She was there and she was gone in no time. And I, in fact, I shut the door and I opened it up. Everything was still right there in my wallet. Folks, this is Stockton. That doesn't happen very much. <laughs> I left my phone at a pizza parlor up on the table and walked out for about 10 minutes, walked back in, hoping it was still there. Gone. Never saw it again. Hoping just return it to the manager. Nope, gone. Doesn't happen. For someone to go to that extent, just to saying, here, you drop this, it's yours. I don't know if that person was a Christian or not, but I sure tell you what. Their actions sure demonstrated that they were. I mean, it, we joke, this is Stockton, but this is 2017, really, in our world today. You don't get those kind of morals and values in a lot of people. But man, I hope, folks, you live that out. I hope we as a church come together and saying, what can I do to bless others? What can I do that's right, that's moral, that's good? But even beyond that, that's just expected. What can I do to love people like Jesus would love people? That's how people are going to know. And when we do that as a church family, there will be people just knocking on the doors to get in here. In fact, those of you who are here today don't normally call First Baptist home. You've celebrated with us up here, or maybe you've just come in and said, you know, the weather's getting a little worse. It's time for me to kind of head back into church or the holidays. Or maybe you've never been a part of a church. You've got to know, folks, it's not about a religion that we're living around here. It's about a faith. It's about a relationship that we have with Christ that I hope goes beyond, well beyond just what we say or read or think or feel but it goes into how we live. Amen? So James would say, this is not where it all gets demonstrated. This is not your true test. The true test is when you leave this place. What do you do to love on others inside the church? What do you do to love on others outside the church? May your faith be real. Let's pray. God, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit has spoken to us today. My prayer is that it wasn't my words, but it was your Spirit that has spoken. But it wasn't um, a good story here or there, but it's your Spirit knocking. And so, folks, let me ask you, if you're here today and you love Jesus, you, you believe in him, do the people around you know that? Do the people in your personal life know that? Do the people at your workplaces know that? Does it make a difference in what you believe? God, this week, may you put things in front of us where we clearly hear from your spirit and we clearly take steps to demonstrate we love you. And our faith brings us to that place. Folks, if you're here today and you never maybe even realized that a faith in Jesus should make a difference in your everyday life, maybe even you're here today and you don't know what this faith means. Simply put, this church believes that Jesus Christ came to live on this earth to teach us how life should be lived. Then he went to the cross to die for us in our place. Jesus, who was sinless, never did wrong, died for us because we have done wrong. We've sinned. Each of us who believes in this follow Jesus says, that's what I profess. I know I've sinned. 
And Jesus went to that cross to die. But he didn't just stay dead. He rose again to new life. We've seen that demonstrated in the baptism. Going under the water and coming back up. A sign of rebirth, of regeneration, of new life. And so each of us here who believes in Jesus has a faith that makes that real. And if today you're at that place to say, I want that, I need that faith, then would you just pray these simple words with me, Lord? Jesus, today I ask you to come into my life. I'm tired of living for myself. I want to live for you. If you understand that you're a sinner, you know you need to follow Christ, just say those words, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. And he'll hear your heart. He knows you prayed that prayer. I would invite you after the service, either come to me and tell me that you did that as well, or come to the person who invited you here today or someone you know, or even out at our Next Step Center. You can talk to them, and they will celebrate with you of what that step means of now being a follower of Jesus. That's where James was celebrating with us. That's where James said, oh, yeah, here it comes. This is where the rubber meets the road. Now we get to love on people in the name of Jesus. Folks, all of us even saw a week ago today the tragedy that took place in Sutherland Springs, the church in Texas where someone in their anger and frustration took a gun and changed people's lives. Folks, real true faith makes a difference in the people who are now surviving there. Real true faith makes a difference in that pastor who lost his daughter. Real true faith is now being lived out in people who, again, I'm sure are celebrating just without a number of their friends who have gone on before them and are celebrating in heaven. And yet, Lord, I thank you for the witness that that church is in that community. I thank you for the witness that that place is of saying First Baptist in Sutherland Springs makes a difference, and our faith makes a difference. Lord, I pray for anyone who might have had fear today on coming to a church. I pray for anyone today who would have fear of coming to a place for thinking tragedies could happen. Lord, we know that can happen in any place in our worlds we go to this year or this week, this, even on this day. And so, Lord, I thank you for your protection of us. I thank you for your love that you pour out on us. And Lord, we just want to be people who are changing lives. We want to be people to show them how to deal with their anger. We want to be people who show them how to deal with their frustration and relationships. We want to be people who see life change. I thank you so much for these eight who are baptized in the waters today. Lord, whose lives are different. Lord, each of us who follows your commands, we want to be different. Not just because we have to, but because our faith makes that difference. God, thank you that it does. May we continue to live that out. May we continue to demonstrate in all we do this week that we love you. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.